Okay, welcome to the program. Chuck Morse, uh, Left Right Radio. My guest is Stephen Payson. He's the author of How Economics Professors Can Stop Failing Us, The Discipline at a Crossroads. Uh, let's see. Stephen uh, is, um, I just went to a little bio here. 34 years of professional experience in economics, having worked as an economic consultant for over three years as an associate for the four years at the Inter-American Development Bank, and for the past 26 years as a United States government economist. Stephen has holds a PhD in economics from Columbia University. Uh, Stephen, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, Stephen, your book is uh, brings up some very important criticisms of the uh, profession of economic teaching at the university level um, with an eye toward reforming these problems. In a nutshell, how do you uh, describe the most significant problems today regarding uh, the teaching of economics? Uh, sure. There's two interrelated problems. One is that a great deal of the profession is focused on very advanced mathematical theory with an emphasis on doing whatever it takes to get published in technical journals because that's how um, they advance in their careers. Now, there's a lot of good exceptions to this. There are a lot of good economists who are doing uh, great work, but academia tends to be focused much more on the uh, journal article publication. And with that, there's an element of, uh, I, I would describe in the book, uh, show business in the sense that um, the theories that are presented are presented in a way that look how smart we are, look how much math we can do, and that kind of thing, and not looking enough at what's truly relevant in terms of what policy, whether we're even measuring the right things. And you have a lot of pockets of little clubs in, in very specific subfields of economics where they just, the individuals are working to impress each other in a little club. And uh, how much that actually is useful to the rest of the world is very questionable. Well, would it not therefore be a problem with the um, the peer-reviewed scholarly publications in terms of what they're looking for? If they're looking for, you know, as you say, highly mathematically based research, it kind of reminds me, if I could use a, a more popular metaphor, it's like movies that are being made as what they call Oscar bait, right? right you know, right. they want to get an Oscar, so they put in certain things that they know the Oscar community is going to like, and that those things aren't necessarily relevant to the movie. It's sort of like thrown in there because they want to get an Oscar. So the result is that you can lose sight of the mission, which is to develop a cohesive economic theory or expound on an already existing economic theory that can be beneficial to our students of economy who are going to go on to influence economic trends. Right. No, that's exactly true. And uh, peer review is a big part of the whole equation because uh, what often happens is that there's a drill down very fine level of technical expertise because the, the journal, the, the papers uh, that are sent to journals uh, that apply to journals to be published, they're very, very technical. And there's only maybe 20 or 30 people in the world sort of qualified to understand that level of very particular theory in those fields. And so they're typically the ones who review the papers 
and it's a it's a mutual admiration society for those little groups. But if peer review were adjusted so that you have more people with a broader perspective and looking at the work in terms of the bottom line of what does this work actually tell us about the real world, then peer review can actually be a means to improving the situation. But right now, peer review is worse. Well, it sounds to me like some of the uh, these scholarly journals are run by um, economists who are very much focused on very narrow elements of economic study and economic theory, and that they're responding to um, articles that comport to those theories. It's kind of like, maybe to use another popular metaphor, it's like shopping for a judge if you have a case that you want to bring right. in, in court. You know, you're looking for judges that are going to, they have a record for being sympathetic to the particular case you want to bring. And um, and the result is a corruption, and I say corruption with a small c, um, you know, of the system in that things become skewed in such a way that they really emphasize only a narrow view and they're missing the bigger picture. Now, you're, the, the result of this, uh, according to your book, has been that the economic profession, as it's taught, has come under a rising tide of criticism, um, that there is an awareness, uh, certainly on the part of students, but in general, that the profession, that, that economic teaching is, is becoming skewed. Is that the case, and how does that manifest itself? Right, so um, different universities, uh, have different levels of the extent to which they focus on pure theory versus, you know, applied studies. Uh, but, but the most prestigious, most prominent uh, universities in economics, like University of Chicago, MIT, Harvard, Yale, uh, Columbia, where I graduated, those schools tend to focus on the most advanced mathematics related to the most advanced theory. Uh, at the expense of, of having practical work. Now, there have been some exceptions to this, uh, definitely, but in general, that's, that problem still exists. And so, really, kind of like a hierarchy where the most prominent professors in the most prominent schools are the ones that are focused on uh, this literature that is not very useful, which I call in the book literature only economic theory. Which is which literature that's only serves the particular clubs that it's written to, and not the general society. Now, this economics-only um, type of literature has it really lost touch with the actual realities of economics and how they work in a given society. I mean, have they reached the point where they are so rarefied academically? that they, they really no longer apply to basic uh, realities? Uh, some, some are like that. It, it depends on what particular issues you're, you're studying. So in the book, for example, I give uh, an example of some studies that are uh, done on drug addiction, okay, and what causes people to, um, you know, be addicted to drugs and uh, what can explain their behavior. And these are optimal control models that are extremely complicated. And when I give presentations on the book, I, I show these equations and I say that the uh, drug addict is assumed to solve 
these optimal control equations. Uh, and in order to do that, they'd have to be better in math than most mathematics professors. Um, so you're really getting into sort of like a showmanship of, uh, of look at the equations that I have solved. You know, instead of uh, it to. Well, this also gets into a very basic question of um, economics itself as a soft science, as opposed to a hard science, which would be something like chemistry or biology or, you know, or, or paleontology or some of the other sciences where you're examining the nature of identifiable objects and trying to understand them and study them so you can learn how to solve different problems. Whereas economics is a little bit more like political science or psychology in that, you know, it's based upon provable theorems, but nevertheless, it has a variable that relates to, uh, you know, more abstract questions of like society and, and of behavior and, and uh, psychology and whatnot. And it sounds to me like the uh, the professors that you're talking about and the trend is to try to treat economics as if it's a hard science when it's not. Uh, well, there's some of that. Um, I think the distinction between a hard science and, and soft science doesn't apply too much with my book because there are economics professors who are actually doing good, useful, valuable work. They're just in the minority. So I see the problem is not so much what the subject matter is as to how it's a, how it's approached. But one thing, you know, it's it's funny. Like one thing about chemistry, for example, is that there's a real lot of uh, of different. You know, you have the whole periodic chart of elements. You have all different things uh, made of chemicals in various various ways. And so even though chemistry can have detailed, sophisticated experiments where you're dealing with constants like the molecular weight of a particular element, you're still recognizing the diversity of all the chemicals that you need to study. Um, the same thing could be done in economics when, it, when we talk about industries and different types of firms and everything else. We can actually look at, uh, at different types of businesses and industries in the same way in a lot of ways that, that um, that chemists look at molecules, and that that way wouldn't be as impressive as just models of you know equations. I mean, you have to you know the chemists will have to describe what particular elements they're studying, just as economists should describe the particular elements of the different uh, components of whatever they're studying, be it businesses, or different forms of labor, and that kind of. So, you know, chemists can, just like chemists get down into the weed of the chemicals, economists need to get down into the weeds of, of the economy, which a lot of professors don't want to get their hands dirty in the weeds. They, they, they're more comfortable in the main. Now, this brings me to maybe a little bit more of a layman's question here. And in a sense, it relates to your own, your own career, Stephen. And that is, it seems to me that you have worked as an adjunct professor at various universities teaching economics, but you've also been in the private sector, you've worked for the government, you have worked in the real world, so to speak, you know, quote unquote. Um, it seems to me that um, one way to perhaps address this problem with some of these more high level elite economics professors at the University of Chicago and 
and that the big colleges would be to expect them to have some of those same experiences, to go out and take the theories of economics and see how they're applied in the real world and to try to apply them and go through the process of trial and error, which would really lead to an understanding of economics as opposed to maybe a more textbook uh, understanding. What say you? Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. I think sort of like uh, kind of like field experience. Right. At, uh, and looking at actual studies that were made to form the basis of decisions, like to look at actual benefit cost analysis that were done to support regulation or, uh, you know, particular feasibility studies that were done. Now, these now one one reason why it's not done as much in economics is because you have an entire other field that really does get into that, which is business studies. So there's kind of and and then on the other end, public policy. So you do have you know economists, uh, and you have like you, you have economics professors who who teach economics in business schools, and they teach economics in public policy departments or public affairs departments, and they're more into the applied uh, uh, thing. But those professors themselves are sort of like lower in the general hierarchy of the economics profession itself. That that. that you know, the, the, the way that uh, uh, most economics, uh, you know, P, uh, most PhD economists have to go through to get their PhDs is more sort of in that core level. And then if they and then if they decide to go do business studies or public policy studies, it's kind of like an extra side to that. But, so uh, that uh, yeah. process of becoming a PhD is, um, I'm getting some echo here. Um, it has more to do with the rarefied thing that you're talking about. Right, exactly. It's kind of, it's, it's pretty much seen and recognized as, as a rite of passage, uh, to do something that is not practical and not very applied, uh, but to prove how, how deeply you've understood the advanced mathematical models. And, uh, the, the, because there's professors who guide Students through that process, they themselves focus on those uh, theoretical models. My my dissertation was pretty much removed from that, and I was still able to get away with doing the dissertation and, and, uh, and publishing it as a book and that kind of thing, uh, because I tried to find other ideas that that weren't about showing off mathematics alone. Now, this also brings up another layman's question, if you will. And that is that what does a, let's say someone gets an undergraduate degree majoring in economics at one of the major in, uh, colleges, w what does that result in in terms of career for your student who, who gets such a degree usually? Um, well, I think uh, most, most people who get bachelor's degrees in economics don't go to graduate school in economics. They might go to graduate school in business, or they uh, uh, might go to graduate school in something else, even you know medicine or something like that. But then they've got mm -hmm. the economics behind them. Uh, so, uh, and there is there is that kind of bias selection because by by the field focusing so much on the mathematical showmanship. Uh, it turns off a lot of potential graduate students. Like somebody might 
uh, get a master's degree and then decide, I don't want a PhD, I don't want to pilot higher or deeper because it does, it's not the kind of learning that I want to do. But if it was more applied and practical, uh, then they would stay in it. So. Is in the, in the present situation of academic economics, would a bachelor's degree in economics have value in terms of not going to graduate school, but going out into the market? And, and what would that be? Uh, yeah, I think actually um, at the bachelor's degree level of economics, you don't have really the kind of problems, just a tiny bit, that I describe in my book. My book is more at the sort of the graduate line and the, you know, the kind of work that, act, that uh, the kind of research that economics professors do. I think a bachelor's degree in economics is very beneficial to uh, anybody in life, I think. It will help them understand uh, the issues when if they want to get a mortgage, if they, uh, you know, are looking for a job, um, if they're trying to understand what's going on with inflation and things like mm -hmm. that. So it does have that sort of helpful element. And uh, th there's so much that if they went into business in any kind of business, whatever they're running, I think the way of economic thinking that you get as an undergrad can be pretty helpful. So then, then someone with a, a, a bachelor's degree in economics would be an attractive candidate to work in any number of fields. I think so. I think so. I mean, it, it, the field, whatever the field is, they would have to have expertise in that other field. But I think uh, it will definitely, it, it could definitely help them, especially since, you know, money affects every field in certain ways. You know, you have to divvy up resources, whatever you do. So, um, you know, I think it would be helpful. Now, some of the colleges, and in particular, the University of Chicago now offers a, um, a PhD program that combines a master's degree and PhD. And I believe it's a three-year program. And um, from what I've been told, having that PhD in economics from the University of Chicago, that's gold. I mean, that's, uh, you can almost do anything with that. Well, yeah, see, and that's that's another kind of problem with the field itself because the credential means a lot and the credential shows that you're so smart and you, you know, you've got all those uh, theories under your belt or you understand them, or at least you did when you took your exams. And so there's that credential thing. But then the problem is uh, how much do they actually teach about uh, the real world issues that economists have to uh, grapple with, you know, um, uh, and and that's a that's a big question, and that's been a criticism of uh, you know neoclassical economics, uh, and in Chicago, you know, uh, historically. So um, uh, it depends. Uh, maybe uh, if you learn finance, you specialize in that in Chicago. Uh, that that you might be in a stronger position to do more useful things. I, I tended to focus on technological change. And I think uh, the profession is generally horribly weak in the area of understanding technological change and, and the economics of technological change. And part of that has to do with how narrow the subject matter of economics is and how, how it's not interdisciplinary in that way. Now, uh, Stephen, has the uh has the discipline narrowed in recent decades? When we talk, for example, about the University of Chicago, I think about Milton Friedman. And there was an example of an economist and of a team and students that really applied 
economics. I mean, they'd go out in the field. He was a TV star. He brought a team to Chile to help Pinochet develop a free market economic system to privatize Social Security and to lead to probably one of the most prosperous economies in, in, in South America. And, and they were involved in, I think, a project in India like that. So, you know, to me, that is really high level, you know, practical applied economics emanating from one of America's preeminent institutions. Is that something that has gone by the wayside? And since those times, has the uh, discipline of economics narrowed away from that? Um, well, I might disagree with you partially on the interpretation of Friedman's contribution. Okay. Um, but uh, um, I, I think uh, the profession might have gotten a little worse in general since then. But one thing, you know, Friedman, uh, uh, you know, I talk about Friedman in my book, actually. One of the things that uh, that I didn't like about Friedman was that he had this uh, theory that he had this belief that um, economic theories don't have to uh, accurately reflect reality. Huh. And um, and that was called the Friedman twist. And um, Paul Samuelson at the time uh, disagreed with them vehemently, and they right. uh, had discussions about that back and forth, because he basically said it's okay to assume in so many words anything that you want, as long as you can reach interesting conclusions from it. And he had examples of, uh, of uh, you know, um, he gave bad examples that related to physics, like. Uh, like the equations that physicists use for a falling body and, you know, that kind of thing as examples of, of his point. But in actuality, he misunderstood the physics. <laughs> what he was doing. So oh. you know, there's, there's a lot of things you talk about with Friedman. Um, it's true that he w did have a, a strong interest in affecting the world, which I you know, get, must give him credit for. And he also uh, contributed uh, a lot of things in monetary economics that he and I think that another interesting thing about that is that, um, you know, it shows that great economic thinkers and professors can very much disagree in terms of theory, because obviously uh, Samuelson was very much kind of a, a liberal Keynesian e economist and his protege, Lawrence Summers, went on to become secretary of the Treasury under Bill Clinton. So, you know, you have you know, very different and very divergent opinions when it comes to economics, which is really interesting, um, you know, that, that, that they're all so much over the map. Now, Stephen, you are today one of America's preeminent ec economists. And so it's an honor to have you here. <laughs> and and I, I'm, I'm very honored to have you on the show. Has your research and your book had, has it reached these people? I mean, have you been able to reach into these institutions? Have they seen the book? Have they commented on it? Is it influencing their their conduct at all? Um, at this point, uh, not yet, as far as I can tell. Um, but the book hasn't been out that long. I I did uh, you know a radio interview um, uh, at MIT actually. But it wasn't um, with the MIT professors. It was just a group of students and things. I've been reaching more uh, with students 
student groups mm -hmm. um, and uh, and uh, groups. Some groups are more interested in it than others. Uh, the book isn't very much about pluralism. There's a couple chapters in it that kind of, you know, do support pluralism. It's mostly not about pluralism per se, but the pluralists seem to like the book because it's really calling into question uh, what, he, what, you know, most economics professors just assume, you know. So uh, so just in, the, in terms of questioning things that need to be questioned, it's getting some some traction. Um, I, I think that uh, a lot of the powers that be, like the American Economic Association, um, they and I write about this in the book actually, I don't expect them to sort of uh, have a board meeting or something like that and say, boy, you know, uh, what are we going to do about this book or something, but they may, it may, might have reached some of the, them and they may be doing some things uh, that are kind of like creeping away from the things that I'm criticizing. So, for Good. example, the latest uh, announcement for a call for papers at the American Economic Association, they said that they are looking in particular for papers that are applied and not purely theoretical. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it might be coming partially from me, partially from other voices. But it's still we're still far away from fixing the problem. So I'm, that's why I'm, you know, trying to plug the book as much. And you're part of a trend that is is exposing and the problem out of a sense of um, wanting to improve economic teaching um, in this country. Uh, Stephen, we're reaching toward the end of this of the show, so I want you to take this opportunity to hold up your book and talk about how people can get it and. How they can oh, find out more information about you. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks. Sure. Um, so uh, here's the book. Hold it right up to the camera. Oh, okay. There we go. Okay. And there's here's a website where I have uh, coupons for 50% off on the mm -hmm. book that anybody can get and use. So right now the hardcover. Uh, you Hold it still. There we go. Okay. Uh, yeah, the hardcover you could get for um, $55. It's going to go down a lot in the summer when it gets to uh, uh, paperback. Right. But, um, but, you know, you can uh, grab it now <laughs> at a discount. Absolutely. It's nice to have a hardcover. Uh, it, is, it is a fairly big book. It's got about 400 pages in it. So. It does. I can attest to that. You sent me one. Thank you very much. And uh, it's also available at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and, and all the usual sites. So, uh, Stephen, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. Uh, thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. Have a nice day. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. Okay. You're, you're welcome. Stephen Payson has been my guest. Thank you. For, thank you, everybody. Have a good time.